How many of you uh, remember the day that you got your license? I would guess probably most of you do. Uh, I can remember as a, you're probably like me, I can remember as a 15 and 16-year-old uh, looking forward to and thinking a lot about the day that I would get my license. Uh, and because I thought a lot about that day, I kind of shaped my, my hopes for that day in, in some ways of uh, I, I imagine what it would be like uh, to drive on my own, to be able to go wherever I went or wanted to in, in some sense, to, to drive to friends' houses, to, to play whatever music I wanted and to, and to play it as loud as I wanted and to, to drive with friends in the car without also having my parents in the car. And, and because I thought a lot about that day, I, I planned for that day or prepared for that day. It shaped how I lived in some sense. Of I, I was working at the time and so saving up money to buy a car and, and I was looking for cars until I kind of found the perfect 1996 green four-door VW Golf, um, bought it, and, and I, I was tracking all my hours as I had my permit to make sure I get my 50 hours in, so I get my license, and, and I set up cones and a block of wood in my, our driveway to practice parallel parking, and, and then I can still remember kind of the actual day of like going, the nerves, taking the test, passing the test, driving into school that morning, showing everyone that uh, great piece of, piece of plastic with your face on it, making plans to go to someone's house after school, taking a friend with me, playing music loud just like I dreamed. And, and I remember driving uh, and getting to a stop sign and stopping and looking and, and starting to pull out. And all of a sudden, I heard a very loud honking noise and screeching tires. And I looked out my driver's side window to see a car swerving in order not to hit me directly in my driver's side door. Thought, wow. All of a sudden there was this recognition, and even as I look back, there was this recognition of like, man, the, the, the first day that I got my license could have been the last day that I lived. Now, now, now I'm, I'm maybe exaggerating that a little bit in the sense of I, I can't quite remember how close it was, and I remember some of the details, but it's a little blurry, and but I'm not exaggerating the sense that any day we live, any day we live in reality could be the last day we live. And I think, well, man, that sounds morbid. That's kind of a morbid note to start out on. But, but, but the, the, the reality is, as I look back, I, I thought a lot about getting my license up to that point in my life. And, and I thought very little about death and dying. And, and I wonder how many of us that's true for as well. Now, just think, over, your, over the past week, how, how many times have you thought about death? Over the past month, over the past year even, I, I would guess there are all sorts of things we think far, far, far more about than death and the fact that we will die one day. See, here, here's the problem. Every single one of us is going to die every single one of us. That's going to be part of your story unless Christ returns before then. There's a sobering thought to putting out your hand, looking at your hand, moving it, and thinking one day all that will be left of that is, is bone. And you might think, man, that's morbid, Kyle. Why, why? But I think that's part of the problem. That, that we, we've come to associate thinking death with it, just morbid, and we shouldn't think about it, and we just should push it out of our minds as far as possible and never think about it and avoid it. And, and yet if we looked back 100 years or 200 years ago, we'd probably be shocked by how often people talked about 
and thought about death. See, the, the, the problem for us is, is not just that we're going to die, but I think the problem is that we tend to avoid all thoughts of dying or try to push them as far out as possible. That, that maybe we distract ourselves in all sorts of ways. Or, or maybe we in our minds think, yeah, yes, I, I'm going to die, but that is so far in the distance. And, and we think, well, death will at least give me a two weeks notice. And then I'll be able to think about it. R- rather than recognizing that often death walks through the door unannounced. Gen- Genesis 5 uh, is likely a passage that we often skip over or skim over in part because it's a genealogy. And, and so reading the names in this passage can, can be about as interesting as watching paint dry in some ways. But there's another way, another way to uh, view this passage. Here's a way to view it. It's like walking through a graveyard and looking at tombstones and seeing people's names and the dates of their life written across them. And as you walk through to recognize One day, all that will be left of me on this earth too is a tombstone with my name and the dates of my life ultimately written across it. My my hope this morning or my goal this morning as we look at Genesis 5 together, and we won't read it all, but we'll read portions of it, is to get us to think about, to consider, to reflect on death. And not just death in general, but, but my death, your death, the fact that we are going to die. Be, because when we, in, in fact, that's, that's in many ways the main takeaway for this morning, that we should think about death more often. Be, because when we fail to think about death, we actually miss out. We miss out on gaining a proper perspective on death. We miss out on gaining a proper perspective on this life and how we should live. And we miss out on how good the hope is that we have as followers of Christ. M- Michael Whitmer, in his book, the last enemy, where he talks about dying, he says, you are going to die. What a crushing, desperate thought. But unless you swallow hard and embrace it, you are not prepared to live. And so the big idea is simply considering death can prepare us to live and die well. And we're going to ask three questions as we look at this passage in Genesis 5 this morning. The the first is, what does this passage teach us about death? What does this passage teach us about life? It's the second one. And then what does this passage teach us about our hope in the face of death? And so let me pray, and then we'll read in Genesis 5. We'll read the first 11 verses and then skip down to just a couple more. God, we believe that your word is truth that out of everything we face and experience in life and death, your, your word remains more certain and more true than all of it. And God, we, we want to stand firm, holding to the truth of your word. Because as we do, we find hope, we find hope in the midst of everything we face in life and death. And so God, I'm praying this morning that you would Show us the truth that we can cling to and believe. And in the midst of it, offer us the hope that can only be found in Christ. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 5, starting in verse 1, we'll read down through verse 11 and then skip down to a couple verses. 
This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. You get the picture. I won't keep reading there, but we'll skip down to verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And then skip down to verse 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. First of all, what, what can we learn about death from this passage, apart from the fact that, that we're all going to die, which we've already said? I, I think it's this, the, the perversion of death, that when we consider death, it can show us how wrong death is. Genesis 5, if you caught it, both recalls an earlier part of Genesis, and it's the result of an earlier part of Genesis. First of all, we might ask, well, what does it recall? It starts out by recalling Genesis 1, 26 through 27, where God creates man and woman in his own image and blesses them. It's, it's reminding us life is good. Life is a tremendous gift. To be made in the image of God and given life is a gift and a blessing and very good in God's eyes. And it's only against that beautiful backdrop that we can then see just how very wrong and bad death is. That death is unnatural. It's not natural. It's not meant to be part. It's it's unnatural. It's not right. One of the ways that people in our day might be prone to deal with death, and and maybe we have some of this even in the church, is just a kind of, it's just natural. It's just part of life. It's the circle of life. You live, you die, you just have to accept it and move on. The the, the Bible will give us none of those answers. It doesn't say, no, 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 it's just part of life, move on. It reminds us death is the supreme sign. This world is not what it's meant to be. That death is an intruder into God's good world. It doesn't belong here. It's not supposed to be here. People made in the image of God were not created to die. Death in some ways is like a fox in a chicken house. What do I mean by that? You don't walk into a chicken house and find a fox killing chickens and say, well, that's just part of it. Foxes get into chicken houses. That's just what we should expect. You see a fox in a chicken house and you know it's an intruder. It doesn't belong there. And you ask, how'd you get in here? Who let you in? 
how did you get here? And so when we see death or we consider death, our response is, how did you get in here? Who let you in here? Why are you in God's good world creating so much havoc? And that's where we have to see that Genesis 3 or Genesis 5 is a direct result of Genesis 3. That in Genesis 2.17, God says to Adam and Eve, don't eat of this one tree. And if you do, you will surely die. And they eat of it. And then Genesis 5 says, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. That, that death is the result of sin. Or, or as Romans 5.12 puts it, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. Death reminds us of the, ugly, of the ugliness and the severity of sin. That, that when we look death in the face, in many ways what we're seeing is sin. That we're staring sin in the face and seeing just how ugly it is. That there's a kid's book that, that says sin spoils beautiful things. And nowhere is that more true than when it comes to death. Death spoils the most beautiful thing, life, and takes it away. Death is the destruction of what is good. Like it casts its shadow over all that's good in this life and says, one day, one day, this will be taken away as well. It's interesting, Stephen Colbert, maybe not a person who you would assume I'd quote in church, but Stephen Colbert, uh, who, who is religious, I think he grew, he's Catholic, um, would have said when he held his first daughter, so his first child, his daughter, he held her the moment after she was born, He said, two things occurred to me in that moment. First of all, he thought, how beautiful. Holding this baby girl, how beautiful. How beautiful. And then he thought, how wrong that this will ever end. Like That's what can be seen even in this Genesis 5 passage. The beauty of life as parents have children. and, And yet those same children grow up to one day end up in the grave. Death steals away what is good in this life. And it's always, always sad to lose what is good in this life. We, we, we can see this even in the smallest things we might lose in this life that are good. I, I remember uh, when my, my son was younger and he was playing with his first balloon got his first balloon that he could play with. I don't remember how old he was, but he's playing with this balloon and he's upstairs playing with it. And all of a sudden I hear a pop. One 1,000, two 1,000. Yell, scream, tears, crying for the next five minutes. Why? Because it was the first time that something my son in some way cherished was just taken away in an instant. And he knew, man, this is not, I just started crying. If the smallest things like the smallest things, like a balloon getting taken away, losing them can cause us to cry. How, how, how much more should the greatest things, like the ones that we love being pulled away from us, cause tears, grief, even anger? Like this is not right. This is not good. The, the loss of death is devastating. To, to lose someone who you love so dearly, to say goodbye to the ones who you love so dearly. There are no right words. There are no good answers. There's only tears and broken hearts. And to look at that and say, that's just the way it is. That's just part of life. Just accept it. Like everything in us screams, no, 
no, no, it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be this way. And God agrees. The, the right perspective on death should always lead to tears. I, I, wonder, I wonder sometimes, and this, I'm talking to myself here, but see if this is true for you too. I wonder sometimes if too often we can minimize the pain and grief of death with, with some version of it will all work out in the end or it's for the better or if, if, if the person you lost knows correct, you'll see your loved ones again in heaven. Like, like there's, there's some truth to some of those statements, but I wonder if sometimes we throw them out there because we're just trying to cover over or minimize grief. That, that maybe we quote a verse like Thessalonians 4.13 that says we should grieve in hope and what we really focus on is just the hope part. And we don't realize, no, 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 we should grieve, grieve, grieve. Death should always sadden us so deeply. Grief in the face of death may last the rest of life because grief is the right response to death. Because our tears are not only a witness to how much we loved people, but they're also a testimony to the fact that this world is not what it was meant to be. In a world that can too often promote stoicism in the face of death, just accept it. Christianity promotes resistance in the face of death. And our tears say, no, I will not just accept it. I will always grieve it. And I will always be left longing, longing, longing for the day when God makes it right and removes death from this world. We should consider death seriously because it helps us to get, I think, a biblical perspective on death. But then we should also consider it because it can help to give us the proper focus to this life for however long we live. I call this the, the perspective of death, that considering death can bring life into focus. Th- thinking about death can be maybe a little bit like smelling sniffing salts. I don't know if that's what they're called. Smelling smelling salts maybe. But you've probably seen people do this. If you watch sports players, right before they take the field or the court or the ice, they might grab the small white bag, put it up to their nose and sniff in. Have you, have you ever asked, why do they do that? Does it just look cool? Is that, like, why, why do they do it? Well, it, it releases ammonia. And, and what it's meant to do is to clear up their airways to get them thinking clearly to have a type of focus and clarity as they step onto the court or the field or whatever it is. To consider death or think about death can give us a type of clarity and awareness and focus as we step into life day after day after day. You might ask, well, what what are the ways that considering death can do this? Let's say, I I think there's three that we can see just even from this passage. And here's the first one. Death reminds us that life is really short. Death reminds us that life is really short. You might say, Kyle, what are you talking about? People in this passage live for over 900 years. That's forever. We don't live for 900 years anymore, but, but the average lifespan in the U.S. is 77 years. That's a long time. So yeah, it is. But, but from what perspective? From what perspective? from the perspective of one still looking out to those years. Because here's what I would guess. If you do live 77 years, or or maybe you already have lived 77 years, most 77-year-olds or older probably would look back and say, it went by so fast. 
right? It went by so fast. And here's my guess. Even someone who was 969 years old would probably look back and still say, it went by so fast. Because that's the perspective that's confirmed by the Bible. It talks about our lives being like grass that's here today and gone tomorrow. Or in James 4.14, it says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I think going on a week-long vacation can be like a sh- kind of small-scale image of this. The, the first day you leave for vacation, I don't know, maybe you're like me, maybe not, but as I go, I think this vacation is going to last forever. A week, seven days, 168 hours of just vacation. It's never going to end. And I get to the other end of the week, and I look back, and I say, man, that went so fast. The perspective of death can help us to look out to the day where one day we die and have us realizing no matter how long we lived, we will look back and say, man, it went so fast. It went so fast. And that way death helps us to see tomorrow is not a guarantee. Life is short. Focus on today. Today is a gift. I mean, I think a good question for us to ponder when we consider death is just, man, if I knew I would be, I I would die next week or next year, like, how would I live differently today? What what would I spend more time doing? What would I spend less time focusing on and doing? What, what, What would I do that I've been pushing off? Where would I obey God that I feel like he's prompting me, but I keep saying, no, there'll be time for that, that later in, in life. Death challenges us not to live for what can be gained in this life. Do you notice what's not included in the description of everyone's life in Genesis 5? Almost everything, right? Like we don't know their careers. We don't know what they accomplished in life. We, we don't know how much money they had, how much stuff they owned. We don't know where they ranked on the social status. We, we don't know how many friends they had. Like all of that has been erased by death and long forgotten by history. Death can be like a giant eraser that just erases all that we've gained in this life, all that we've lived here, lived for simply here and now. Just just think about this in some of the important areas of our life. The most significant achievements of your life and my life will one day be utterly insignificant because they'll be completely forgotten. All our possessions will be taken away and eventually end up in someone's dumpster. All our money will eventually be spent by someone else. All the pleasures we enjoyed will fade. And all the recognition or approval that we live for will disappear as one day we're completely forgotten as well. It's so easy, it's so easy to spend our lives chasing after what can be gained here and now. But death tells us if all those things disappear in the end, then why would that be the main thing that we live for? I I think about if I look back 15 years ago to when I was in high school, I think about how much time I spent trying to get other people to like me. I look back and I think, what a waste of time. What a waste of time. I, I, I don't even know those people anymore. I don't know where they live, like most of them. I don't know anything about them. What a waste of time to spend four short years trying to get people to like me. But if I'm honest, and if we're honest, 
we have to realize that we'll probably look back 15 years from now on this version of ourselves and see things and think, man, what a waste of time. Why did I spend so much time worried about that, focused about that, thinking about that? See, death is meant to help us evaluate that and say, what is it that, that, that I'll look back at and say, that wasn't really worth it. Death should have us asking, where am I chasing after things that won't matter in the end? And what really does matter? And what really is worth living for? Because death calls us to live today, right now, for what will matter in the end. And this very passage we read is trying to get us to see, see, here's what matters. Here's what matters today. Here's what matters tomorrow. Here's what matters in the end. Notice if you read the description of all nine people, there's one description that diverges from the rest. One description that changes up. It lays like a diamond in the midst of rocks, showing us, telling us, teaching us what is truly valuable in this life. It's the description of Enoch in verse 21. The pattern of this passage is this. The whole passage is A, lived B years, fathered C, and then A lived however many years after fathering C. But it switches up with Enoch. It says Enoch lived 65 years. He fathered Methuselah. Okay, that's the pattern. But then it says Enoch walked with God. Do you see that? Where we would expect to find lived, we find Enoch walked with God. It's as if it's saying there's something better than just living. Like there's something better than just getting by in this life, something better than just living this. There's, there's something that's really worth living for. And, and, and what is it? To walk with God. This passage is asking us, you, do you want to live well? Do you want a life that really matters in the end? Then walk with God today. I, I was reading an article this past week from uh, a Christian doctor named John Cho. And, and he sees many people who've passed away under his care. And he's reflecting on what, what is it that can prepare people to die? What is it he's seen in his patients that prepares them to die? And he says this. He says, the best way you can prepare for death is by walking faithfully with Christ one day at a time. Trust him today as you want to trust him at the end then someday, just like my patient, you'll walk into eternity with the faithful God who has led you all your life. And so what, what does that look like to walk with God today? I think by, it means by his grace, trusting him with both the good and the bad. We're in the midst of both the good and the bad. It, it, it looks like serving him and seeking to please him day by day rather than other people. It, it, it looks like loving the people he's called you to love in your life and who surround you. It looks like talking to him in prayer and, and knowing his word and, and following the prompting of his spirit and believing the gospel and believing his grace and resting in that day by day by day. If you want to live a life that matters, if we want to live a life that matters in the end, then we walk with God today, today and tomorrow and the next day and, and, and every day. Considering death can help give us the proper focus on what matters in this life. But considering death can also, maybe more importantly, help us to grasp hold of the hope that will enable us to face death one day.
hope in the face of death is that considering death can help us to grasp hold of the hope of the gospel. We just think about this question. What is it? What is it that can help you and I face death and die well one day? Hope. 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 And, and, and a certain hope, a, a secure hope, a confident hope. And this passage, even in Genesis 5, we, we get a glimpse into several ways that we can grab onto that hope or the hope that we have. And here's the first one. God rules over death. God rules over death. Isn't that, isn't that part of what we're meant to get from this passage about Enoch or these verses about Enoch? Because everywhere else where it says this person died, now it just says God took him. It's telling us, hey, God rules over death. He controls it. It's under his or it's under his rule. In fact, we could say you and I will not die a moment sooner. Not a moment sooner or a moment later than God has planned for and chosen for us to die. You might say, well, how's that hopeful? Because if your faith is in Christ, you are God's child. Which means your father rules over death. Do you believe that? Your father rules over death. Which means death cannot separate you from his loving arms. This is what Paul's getting at in Romans 8 in part when he says, hey, what? Just imagine, what might be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ? And he just lists off this, 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 this. And then he gets down and he says, for I am sure that neither death nor life will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ. What a comfort to be able to look at death and say, you cannot separate me from the one who loves me the most. All you can do is draw me closer into his arms. If you are God's child, he will carry you through death. He will hold on to you and you will find out just how secure and good his arms are in the midst of that. We can also see that God's promises outlast death. In Genesis 5, what's the one thing that keeps going even as people live and die. It's God's promise from Genesis 3 that God is going to bring an offspring from the woman who will crush the serpent and destroy all the evil that's happened in this world. that's That's what genealogies are in part meant to do, to trace the seed of the woman down to Christ, telling us God's promise. So every time we hear he died, we should hear, but God's promises kept going. God's promises kept going. And it's ultimately in Christ that we find all of God's promises are guaranteed to us. 1 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him, including the promises of eternal life and a new heavens and new earth. Do, do you see what that means? That means through faith in Christ, there is something that is more certain than death itself. Like we, we, we quip, there are two things that are certain in this life, death and taxes. And say, yeah, but there's something that's even more certain than both of those. God's promises. God's promises. And through Christ, you are anchored into God's promises. And if you are anchored into his promises, then then, then you can withstand what comes your way, even death itself. There's a picture of a house in Mexico Beach, Florida. I think I have the picture. That that was still standing after a hurricane went through in 2018. Most of the other houses are flattened to the ground. There's some hotels that are standing, but kind of torn up. And the builder of this house, or one of the people who helped build the house was asked, why is that house still standing? And he he responded with these words when asked that question. 
He replied, when we were building, we consistently asked the question, what would survive the big one? And we consistently tried to build it for that. But the house was built on 40 or, or pilings that went 40 feet deep into the ground, securing it and anchoring it so that it might survive the big one. It, it, it's through faith in Christ that you and I are anchored to God's promises. And the more we know them and cling to them and believe to them, the, the, the more we will be able to survive the big ones that come our way in this life, including what we would say is the, the biggest one, death itself. In fact, I would say it's in the face of death that God's promises actually become all the sweeter to us. And one of his best promises is the promise of resurrection that we find Jesus has defeated death. In the very end of this Genesis 5 passage, we hear Lamech naming his son Noah and crying out saying, maybe, maybe this one will deliver us from the curse. Maybe this will be the one. And yet we know in Noah, while God provided a fresh start, Noah still ultimately sinned and then died, just like everyone else. And it's only when we come to Christ that we find someone who didn't sin, who never sinned, yet still died, ultimately for us. But what happens when he dies? You know the story, what happens? He rises three days later. But why does that matter? Because he shows us in him, the curse of death is reversed. Rather than death just being the end of life, it ends up becoming the beginning of life for him and the beginning of life for all who will follow him and trust in him. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 22 puts it this way. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Rather than death simply being the end of life, in Christ, death becomes the beginning of everlasting life. Rather than death simply being the destruction and end of all that is good, it also becomes the, the doorway into all that is better and what we're deepest longing for in Christ. There, there's a poem written by the, the poet George Herbert, I just heard this recently in light of Tim Keller's death because it was a, a poem he would quote often. And it's a poem where there, there's a, uh, Herbert pictures a Christian talking or having a conversation with death. And it's a short poem and here's how it goes. The Christian starts first and it says, Alas, poor death, where is thy glory? Where is thy famous force, thy ancient sting? Death responds and says, Alas, poor mortal, void of story. Go spell and read how I have killed your king. The Christian says, poor death. And who was hurt thereby? Thy curse being laid on him makes you accursed. Death says, let losers talk, yet you shall die. These arms will crush you. The Christian responds and says, spare not, do your worst. I will one day be better than before. Thou so much worse, for thou shalt be no more. Think about that. If your faith is in Christ, death 
can only make you better in the end. Like, do, do you believe that? that? That in the end, if your faith is in Christ, death can only, like, like the thing that could most harm us in the life, the thing that is most fearful, scary, overwhelming in Christ can only, only make you better. I mean, if, that, if that's true, then we have hope. We have hope in the face of everything. We have hope, especially in the face of death. It doesn't mean that death won't be painful or overwhelming or scary. It, it may be, and I don't want to cover over that, but it means that your hope and my hope is certain and that because of Jesus, your story will not end in death, but rather it will end in everlasting life, the life that is far better, the life that all that's good in this life is only a, a taste of. And if that's not your hope, Jesus invites you, come to me, trust me, follow me, and know the hope that can only be found in me. Let's pray. God, we praise you that you are our only hope in life and death. Death can steal away everything else that we put our hopes in. It can take it all, but it cannot steal us from you. It cannot stop us from being your children. It cannot make your promises untrue. It cannot ultimately harm us because we know, trust, and follow a king who died, who rose again, and who says, I've got the keys of death and Hades in my hands now. God, I pray that we'd believe that. I pray that that would be the hope that we live by day by day. I pray that that would shape how we live today, walking with you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.